I said, uh, that's one of my favorite hymns. Uh, it was uh, one of the hymns they sang tonight that I gave my life to Christ and surrendered to preach. And it's always been uh, at the top of my list as one of my favorites. Uh, we really had a good time last night, or I did. I enjoyed myself. Lots of good food uh, and uh, lots of good fellowship and a good turnout. And I tell you, I've organized so many events through the years uh, uh, as an associational leader that I, I know the kind of effort that it takes to put something like that together. And I know there are a lot of people behind the scenes that were doing a lot of things. But I do really have... Uh, Special respect for the person that goes out and gets the door prizes. That is one of the biggest jobs of all, uh, is to go around and gather up the door prizes. And y'all had probably more than I've ever seen, but uh, I know there were some disappointed children, but I think almost everybody got something uh, before they left there. But it was a great event, and I appreciate uh, Brother Jason asking me to come out and to be able to uh, speak. And I appreciate the kind words he said about me. Uh, he's, he's been uh, one of my... Uh, quote unquote sons in the ministry in the sense that uh, he has some other mentors that are very dear friends of mine uh, and even uh, I knew his youth, know his youth pastor when he gave his life to Christ and uh, but uh, and one of his best friends brother Doug who's been here and others they're all we're all kind of in a group together and uh, it's kind of a, it's kind of a you know the Lord works in mysterious ways amen but uh, before brother Jason came some of you might remember I'll just check and see how many of you remember that I spoke here before he came as pastor? Okay, all right, good. Uh, you, you have a better memory than me because a lot of times I'm getting to where I can't remember everything. That, I, it's funny, I can remember what went on 30 years ago, but I can't remember what went on 30 minutes ago. But back uh, uh, last, uh, just to chase a rabbit real quick, last Saturday I had kind of an adventure. If you look on Facebook, you'll probably see my face on there. But uh, I went to Northern Tool in Little Rock on Saturday morning, last Saturday morning, to pick up uh, a few th items to, uh, to work on my boat. And when I left there and I got down to Lowe's in Bryan, I realized that I'd left my wallet uh, laying in the basket at Northern Tool. And, and it's really just a credit card holder with my driver's license and credit cards and stuff, fishing license. And I didn't have any cash in it, but it was, you know, it's hard to get all those credit cards, uh, driver's license and fishing license. It takes time and, and the effort to, you know, get rid of them and get new ones and all this stuff. So I called back to Northern and I said, hey, look, I just left there. I left my wallet in the cart when I checked out and put the stuff in my boat and drove off and left it. And, and the guy at the counter, an elderly guy, he said, well, uh, I saw a guy come behind you with a child and I saw him pick it up, look at it and put it in his pocket and walk out. And I was like, oh, and I said, okay, I'm coming down. He said, well, we've looked, there's nothing here. You know, I saw him put it in his pocket. And I said, well, I'm coming anyway. So I drove back down to Northern and uh, so I said, hey, look, you've got surveillance video, don't you? And they said, yeah. And I said, well, you ask everybody their phone number. And you know who he was. You know what he bought. So look it up and see if you can call him and see if he's got my wallet. Well, the manager said, nah, we can't correlate the phone number. And I, that didn't make sense to me until he explained to me. He said, look, the reason we take your numbers, if you lose your receipt, you come in, we ask you your phone number, we can call up your receipt. But we can't do it the other way around, you know, so... But the, the older guy there at the counter said, hey, well, hold on. There's a young guy here who's coming in a little bit, and he might know more about these computers. Well, sure enough, he'd been out to lunch. He came in. He said, oh, yeah, I can do that. So a little bit later, they walked out with a piece of paper, and uh, they, they had my, uh, the name of the guy who got my wallet. They called him. He said, yeah. He said, I've already put it on Facebook. Now, he put, took a picture of my wa uh, driver's license, 
And I mean, it went viral. I mean, it went viral. Uh, people were saying, hey, look, you might not want to put this guy's driver's license out on the internet. But it was too late. He took it down. Uh, but I called him. He met me. And his, his uh, reasoning, which uh, made total sense, he was very convinced that he didn't want to leave it at the store because I might not get it back. And he was convinced that when he saw it, he could find me. Well, he found me. I'm telling you, he found me. Uh, literally, as late as day before yesterday, people were driving up in front of my house in Bryant and tooting their horn. I'd be out front working or something and saying, did you lose your wallet? Total strangers. <laughs> and, and I met a lot of neighbors who came. I had a neighbor who was jogging. He, I'd see him jog all the time, young man. He came by and he said, hey, look, uh, my mother called me from Van Buren and wanted me to come by and tell you you're... Somebody has found your wallet. I didn't know the guy. So anyway, he said, well, my mother saw the address and knew I lived in the same subdivision. So she, I mean, people from all over the country calling me saying, did you know you lost your wallet? And, uh, but I got my wallet back. So uh, I told my wife, I said, well, I left there. When I left uh, Northern, I, I met the guy and I got my wallet back. Well, I ran by Lowe's, I mean, uh, not Lowe's, but Coles to pick up a shirt that I wanted. And I drove, went into Coles, uh, I bought the shirt, I left there, went out in the parking lot, and got almost, you know, to where I, I thought my vehicle might be. And I looked down and I thought, well, why did I come here? And, and I realized I didn't have anything in my hand. Y'all ever do that? So I went back in and said, I think I left something behind. The girl held up my shirt, said, yes, you did. So then I walked back out in the parking lot, and I looked and looked and looked for my truck, and I could not find it. And then I remembered I was in my wife's car. <laughs> I would ask for hands on how many of you have done all that, but you know, I told my wife, I said, it, it just, the other day I lost my keys. She said, oh, here we go again, you know. <laughs> it's just, uh, uh, I think I needed to retire, Jason. And you know, it's gotten worse since I retired. I haven't quit preaching, but I've, I, I retired from my office job, so to speak. And uh, it's actually gotten worse because I think what it is is, I don't think, because, I hope it's not because I'm aging, but I think it's just because uh, I don't try to think as much as I used to. I don't worry about things like it. And I think that I just kind of have a, you know, my brain just kind of runs on neutral all the time, you know? And uh, so I just kind of get in front of the refrigerator and say, well, what did I come here for? You know, I, I just know I need to go there sometimes, you know, so... But uh, a lot of you can relate to that. And if you're laughing at that and you can't relate to it, just hold on. It'll come your way sooner or later. But I was here uh, about two and a half, three years ago. Brother Cliff was your interim, uh, bro Brother Cliff Springer. And uh, he was out one Sunday and asked me to come and preach for him. And it was just prior to Brother Jason coming to your pastor. And uh, I said, the Lord, you know, he, he works in mysterious ways and he does these things. But actually, there's, there's a whole big backlog to this whole thing. Uh, Brother Cliff was friends with Jason from uh, Mississippi and from Bryant. And uh, we were all friends together back through the years and had been working together. The Lord had you know, put us together through the years. And uh, Cliff was uh, formerly uh, in my association. And we'd been to Mexico together and all kinds of stuff. And then there was a tie back to... Uh, uh, brother Gerald Taylor and uh, to Bill here uh, who used to be at Lifeline for Retired who was my father in the ministry 
Anyway, through it all, I don't know exactly how it all ended up working out, but somehow through it all, uh, word of mouth and different things, and Brother Jason's resume came here, and y'all called him as your pastor. And so there, there, we all know each other. I mean, there's a network out there, and we all know each other. And uh, the Lord uses, uh, I tell churches all the time, the best way to find a pastor is to just talk to other pastors and find out who they know or who they might want to recommend because there is a network. You know, we're not like some groups. We just don't have an office up there that, uh, or at least I recommend you not do this, and that is call the office up to the convention and say, send us out a preacher. Uh, you know, what you need to do is pray and ask the Lord to send you out a preacher. Amen? And then, and then go through your own process. They might make a recommendation. But ultimately, uh, your goal is to find God's man. And I'm really proud of Jason and his family. And uh, I know I asked him this morning, and he really said this. And I was a little surprised because uh, he said, I said, what have you been doing this morning? He said, well, I've been running around putting out fires. Well, his idea of putting out fires and my idea of putting out fires are two different things. Uh, when I put out fires as a pastor, that meant that I was being chased down and people telling me what I need to be doing. I mean, it wasn't usually very pleasant, okay? So I tried to avoid those people on Sunday morning. But he said, oh, no, I don't have anybody like that here in this church. We don't have no problems like that. So if he's been here almost two and a half years and he's not having any problems, you are an awesome church, I'm telling you. And all I can say, all I can say, and he meant that sincerely. He really said that to me. Oh, no, I'm not had a problem since I've been here. Well, I just want to say to you, brother, you are blessed beyond your imagination, okay? I, I tell pastors all the time, and I, I work with a lot of pastors in my role uh, to work, that was my job, to work with pastors in churches. And uh, I used to tell pastors who would kind of get an itch to move, I would say, let me ask you this, do you need to move? Do you have to move? They'd say no. And I would say this to them, well, think about it this way. Where you are, you know your enemies. When you move, you got to start all over again. So... Uh, think that through before you run off, I always tell them. So thank the Lord, Brother Jason, uh, that you have a congregation like this. You need to thank the Lord. And you will look back, regardless of where God takes you through the years, maybe right here forever, but you'll look back and you'll remember this church as a wonderful time in your life, I promise you. So thank you for letting me come this morning, Brother Jason, and to the church. Let's get into the Lord's Word. Mark chapter 12, beginning with verse 41. Mark chapter 12. Verse 41. Let's all stand, and I'm going to read uh, a few verses. I know you've been standing for a while, but uh, in reverence to the Lord's word, let's stand, and I'm going to read. I'm going to read from the New International Version this morning. I'll be using the New Living, but I'm going to read from the New International. It says, "Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put, and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. And many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. And calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that as we study in your word together, Lord, that... Uh, it would speak to our hearts, challenge us, encourage us, and Lord, convict us if need be. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Many years ago, I heard a humorous story about three fellows 
<coughs> excuse me, who were talking about giving. And uh, so two of the fellows asked the one that said, uh, when you give at church, how do you decide how much to give? Uh, through the years as a minister, uh, 43 years in the ministry, I've had a lot of people ask me, Brother Danny, is tithing a New Testament? Uh, is that something that's in the New Testament? Uh, how do we determine how much to give, how much to tithe? So a lot of people, and that's a good question to ask. So they asked this fellow, how do you decide how much to give? He said, well, it's pretty simple. He said, I take a stick, and in the dirt I draw a circle about eight foot across, Brother Jason. And then he said, I draw a circle in the middle about the size of a basketball. And he said, I take all my money, and I throw it all up in the air. And he said, whatever lands in the big circle is what I keep, and whatever lands in the smaller circle I give to the Lord, to the church. Well, the two fellows said, well, that's, that's cool. You know, he's given a reasonable amount. He's given, a, you know, 10% or whatever. You know, he's given a good, good percentage of uh, what he has. So uh, they turned to the second fellow and they said, well, what do you do? How do you know how much to give? He said, well, I do basically the same thing. I take a stick and I draw an eight-foot cross circle, and then I draw a circle about the size of a basketball. And he said, I throw everything I have up in the air. And he said, whatever lands in the little circle, that's what I keep. And whatever lands in the big circle, I give that to the Lord. And the two guys were like, wow, that's uh, sacrificial. You know, that's very... Uh, extravagant in your giving and uh, and you know I've heard of people who do that who keep the 10 and give the 90 I mean I've heard of uh, Rick Warren at uh, Saddleback Church he shared his testimony a few years ago in fact he's done that himself but he said that he had a lot of wealthy you know uh, member, uh, church members who came from the computer boom and everything who had millions and millions of dollars income and they felt convicted about you know their wealth and and they asked him, what should we do, Pastor? And he said, give it to the Lord, you know. And they did. They gave enormous amount to the Lord's work to, to reach the world for Christ. That's a good thing. I tell people, if you're making it honestly, get after it. You can always give it to the Lord's work, okay? So don't feel bad if the Lord blesses you. Share that blessing uh, to reach the world for Christ. So there was a third guy standing there, and they noticed that he didn't say very much. He must have been a Baptist, but he was pretty quiet about it. And so they finally, they turned to him and they said, hey, tell us, what do you do? He said, well, honestly, I do pretty much the same thing. He said, I draw a big circle about eight foot across, and then I draw one about the size of a basketball in the middle. He said, I take everything I have and I throw it up in the air. And he said, uh, whatever hits the ground is mine, and what the Lord catches is his. <laughs> well, we laughed about that, and that is a good humorous story. But it really is a good illustration of the three attitudes toward giving, right? The one gives reasonably. The second gives sacrificially. And the third gives whatever the Lord can take away. Whatever, the, begrudgingly, really. But whatever the Lord takes from that person. This morning, I want to talk to you about giving. But I don't want to talk to you about tithing. And I'm not talking about just finances. That's part of it, but a small part of it. I want to talk to you about really New Testament giving. This is uh, really not a story about tithing, but it is a story about giving. And it's a story that the Lord shared with us. In fact, very possibly, most likely, 
This was one of the, la the last known things that he said in the temple. What, this, uh, what he said about this lady and her giving. I want to draw the uh, picture for you. They were there in the temple. Now don't think of Baptist church, okay? The temple in Jerusalem, there's only one temple. There was only one temple. There were synagogues all over the world. Wherever there were Jews, there were synagogues if they had enough Jewish families there. But there was only one temple, and that was in Jerusalem. And uh, every year during the Passover, people would come from afar, as they would say. They came even, like, think of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. Uh, most scholars believe that he had come during the Passover. And he had come, he was a proselyte to the Jewish faith, and he, he had come all the way from another country in Africa, all the way to Jerusalem, to do what? To worship the Lord. During the, during the Passover, most likely. And so he came and made that pilgrimage. Jews came from all over. They had been dispersed throughout the civilized world, but they came during the Passover to worship the Lord. So first of all, think of the temple as a place where there were a lot of people and a lot going on during this time. And it was kind of like a big flea market and uh, something, because you remember the tables Jesus turned over, you know, they were doing commerce. So that was going on around the temple. So, you know, uh, they, there was lots going on. They were selling animals for sacrifice. They're probably selling food. Everything in the world going on around the temple there. And think of a county fair, you know, a big or a state fair. That's kind of what it was like. You know, I don't know if you could smell popcorn and, uh, you know, uh, whatever that, uh, what is that stuff you eat? Uh, cotton candy, yeah. Uh, sugar. But uh, anyway, that's kind of the atmosphere. And people were patting each other on the back and glad to see each other. And you remember at Pentecost, they were speaking all these different languages. That's because the Jews that came there were from all over the world. And they had different languages. And so it was a very festive moment. And everybody was very happy and things were going on. And the crowd was large. And the temple was, uh, it had stages. Our outer court was the court of the Gentiles. In other words, everybody could go there. No matter who you were, you could go there. Gentiles, Jews, women, whatever. Alright? And then they had the court of the women. And only Jewish women and men could go there. And then they had the court of the men, which was the main worship center. And then they had the Holy of Holies where only the high priest could go once a year. But it was in the court of women that they had, ladies, that they had the offer plates. I want to make sure you gave, okay? So if this lady came, then she could only go as far as the court of the women. And that was where they had the place to give your money. The Bible tells us that that's where Jesus and the disciples were. And they had 13 receptacles. They were kind of uh, bronze-type receptacles, shaped like a trumpet. Uh, this is not what they look like, but in my mind, I think of like 13 big spittoons down the wall, okay? And they just had those lined up down that wall. And the Bible says that Jesus sat down opposite of where they were. So like if they were on this wall, 
he got over here and you know they didn't have chairs and couches he just uh, hunkered down as we would say down in south arkansas squatted down and he watched as they came and he they put their money into those receptacles and the bible says that there were many who came who were very wealthy and they put in large amounts of money now jesus was really really paying attention to what they were doing and he said to the disciples hey guys come here did you see that woman what she did when this little widow came in and dropped her two coins into that receptacle here's the first thing i think we learned from this passage is jesus is interested in our giving he's interested in fact, the word in the Greek language there is used like in the case of a centurion guard. I think of the palace in London. Think about that. You, how many of you have seen the, the guard there, you know, and they just stare ahead stoically? They don't take their eyes. You, you know, people do like this. They can't get them to blink. You know, they just stare ahead. Well, that's the kind of focus that Jesus had. I can just see the disciples they were milling about, doing all kinds of stuff and talking and doing things. They weren't paying attention, I'm sure, because they never did pay attention to much. Uh, and Jesus would point out things to them. And he called him over and he said, Guys, did you just see what that little old lady did? And he wasn't just glancing. He wasn't just occasionally looking. He was sitting and watching one by one as people came and they gave. Jesus was interested in what they were giving. Let me tell you something this morning. He's still interested. Some 2,000 years later, Jesus is still interested in what you do with what you have. He cares about everything that you do. And he cares about everything that you keep. And he cares about everything that you give. He is very interested in what you do. And you may do things uh, that, uh, you know, I found out a long time ago uh, as a pastor and as a minister that those who usually give the most talk about it the least. You know, I, I can't tell you the number of stories of pastors who told me about a person in the church who caused so much problems and wanted to be in charge of everything. And when they finally had enough of them and they said to the financial secretary, Tell me, how much does that person give so that I can have an idea who I'm dealing with that they gave you know, $20 a year or something? And I know of one situation where the pastor gave the guy's money back and said, we would like for you to move on down the road. <laughs> I don't recommend that, but, you know, sometimes I've felt that way myself. Uh, I found out a long time ago that people who give to the Lord's work graciously, they don't have to have their name on it. They don't have to be in charge of it. They do it out of, the, out, of the, out of the love, their love for the Lord. Our goal should be to give with that kind of attitude. And let me tell you, Jesus still cares. He still cares. He knows if you give like those three fellows, if you give uh, grudgingly, he knows. You may as well not give at all. But if you give out of, out of the love for the Lord and the Lord's work, then he will bless you for that. He's still interested. Second thing I think we learned from this is that our giving should be both extravagant 
and sacrificial. What does it say? It says many rich people threw in large amounts. Now, I'm told from my uh, years of study in school that uh, the, the Jews had become very articulate in their giving. That, you know, when I was a kid, my mother, I, I, you know, I, I was born in 1955, so when I was in elementary school, uh, President Kennedy was killed, and they started making the Kennedy half dollar. How many of y'all remember the Kennedy half dollars? Okay. All right. At first, they were made out of mostly silver. And boy, when you drop one of them, they'd ring. You know, they had that beautiful, that silver, you know, that ring. Well, later on, they put that copper in the middle of it, you know, in the other alloys, and you can drop one of them that sounded like a rock falling on the ground. Okay? But the purer the silver was, or the metal, the more it gave that ringing sound. Well, when the Jews would come into the temple, they had gold and silver. And they would come in there, and they had those 13 receptacles. And according to, uh, according to history, they didn't just set a sack of money over in there. They didn't fill out a paper slip like we do a lot of time with an envelope and hand it in. No, they put their money into the receptacle. And they had become articulate in their giving. They could take that coins, and people kind of knew what the big ones sounded like, and the middle ones and the smaller ones, and they could kind of ooze them into the uh, receptacle. So they didn't just throw them all in or drop them in. They kind of oozed them in. Because you know what? They wanted everybody to know what they were doing. So Joe Baker would come in and they'd say, wow, let's, let's all listen. You know, and everybody just listened. And, and when I was a kid, you'd have an old cash record go ching, 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 ching. Well, that's kind of the way it was. And when they would give, people would hear it going in. And they could guesstimate how much they were giving. And they wanted to do it in such a way that everybody knew what they were giving. You know? And they would just kind of ooze again. So all these people that had a lot were coming in and they were giving large amounts. And then all of a sudden, this poor widow lady came in. And she dropped in two small copper coins. Now, they didn't hardly even register on the scale. In fact, they probably didn't make any sound at all. And I'm sure that the disciples did not stop and pay attention when she did it. Because Jesus said, come over here, boy. Did y'all see that? And one of them might have said something like, yeah, isn't that disgusting? If I couldn't do more than that, I wouldn't even give. Another probably said, yeah, that poor lady. You know, that's all she's got. To. Too bad she doesn't have more. Something. But Jesus said what? Boy, she has given more than all the others combined. Now, I can just hear Judas. You remember, he was the treasurer. I can just hear him. Jesus, you need to stick to preaching because you don't know anything about accounting. If you think she gave more than they did, you need to go back to school, Jesus, because your math is terrible. She gave nothing compared to all the others. But Jesus said what? She has given more than all of them. Jason talked about Mexico years ago when we were down there, and it was a long way. We weren't just going across the border. We were going 18 hours into the mountains. Had to quit going because it was really a drug-dealing infested area, and, and they were literally kidnapping and killing people, and we finally left there. But 
Boy, what a great ministry. One, one summer we took 500 people down one summer. Uh, we had 18 bands of youth down there one week one time. I mean, we were really, really, really doing Had college students living and working there. But it was a great ministry, and we saw a lot of people come to know the Lord. But uh, one day I was in a little store there in town, and, I, and when you walk out of these places in these developing world countries, invariably you're going to see children begging, you know, poor children begging. So I came out of the store, and there were two or three little boys there begging, had their hands out. And I glanced down, and on the ground I saw these little copper coins. I put them on my keychain because they got a hole in the middle of them. And they're just two little copper coins from Mexico. Uh, they probably cost 50 times more than they, uh, to make them than they're worth. Uh, they were just laying on the ground. And I bent over and I picked them up and I put them into one of those boys' hands. You know what he did with them? He just turned his hand over and dropped them back on the ground and stuck his hand back out. You see, they're so worthless that they wouldn't even take them. You can't get anything with them. Uh, they're, just, they're just coins that are worthless. Two little copper coins. And I thought, you know, those are with us mites. Two little copper coins. What these were valuable, what the value on these were, were nothing. I mean nothing. They were virtually valueless. And yet Jesus said, she has given more than all the others put together. Ultimately, third thing I want you to learn this morning, it is not how much we give, but how much we have left. It's not how much we give, but how much we have left. It's not the portion, but the proportion. If she'd given one coin, how much would she have given? 50%. How many of us would voluntarily give 50% of everything we know or have today to the Lord right now? Some of us say, well, everything I got belongs to the Lord. Uh, well, let's, you know, let's ante up. I believe that. I, I do believe everything you got belongs to the Lord. Because uh, he can certainly take it away from us, right? But, uh, and he has blessed us with it. And if you think you've earned it of your own volition, good for you. But I wouldn't have that attitude if I were in your case. And, and I hope the Lord uh, prevents me from having that attitude. It's not really what we give the Lord's most interested in. It's what we have left. And what we do with what we have left. You see, what we give is one is a whole different thing. But what we do with what we have left is a very good indication of who we are. You know there's more in Scripture about money than any other topic. That's right. And Jesus had a lot to say about it. A whole lot to say about it. And uh, ultimately... What we do with what we have says more about us than anything else. It is a reflection of who we are. If she had given uh, one, she would have given 50%. But she gave 100% of all she had to the Lord. The Lord doesn't just measure our giving by the amount we give, but also by the amount that remains under our control. He is interested. He expects us to give extravagantly and sacrificially. And he is even more interested in what we have left. Well, I told you this wasn't about tithing, and it's not. Because ultimately, and this is the fourth point, what the Lord wants is not our money. He's got cattle on a thousand hills. I mean, the Lord's resources are beyond our imagination. He don't need our money. 
He don't want our money. He wants our hearts. Amen? Ultimately, what he's after is us. That's what it's all about, is us. But our giving is a reflection of our heart. What we do with what we have is a reflection of where our heart lies and where our loyalty lies. The desire of the Lord is to have our hearts. I'm going to close with this last illustration. When I was pastor many years ago in South Arkansas, in a church about like this, a community about like this, before I went to the Philippines as a missionary, uh, I had a lady who told me a story, uh, who was my secretary, told me a story about uh, a lady from her home church that she'd known all of her life. This lady, every church, and I'm sure this church has had one or has one, every church has this uh, matriarch, this lady, I don't know who it is in this church, but that everybody looks at it and says, that, that person is, is what, you know, she, is a, she represents what the Lord wants us to be. She's a prayer warrior. She's faithful. Used to be the person that was like the WMU director or something like that. Uh, don't, probably don't even know what WMU is around here anymore, but you, do you have one? Amen. How many of y'all are involved in the WMU? Amen. All right, good. Uh, I used to meet with the WMU when I was a pastor because they quilted every Wednesday. It had potluck. And they taught me how to quilt, and they sold the quilts uh, for WMU. And uh, I, I went because they had awesome food. And I went and gathered, and I learned how to sew, and I stuck myself with the uh, needle a few times, and they laughed. But I tell you what, uh, this was back in the, in the uh, uh, late 70s, early 80s that I met with these WMU. And I want you to know that they had Facebook before anybody else did, because they knew what everybody was doing in town. And if I went in and sat with those ladies, when I left there, I knew what everybody was doing in town. And if I didn't, you could just pick up the phone and listen to everybody else on the party line and figure out what was going on in town. Yeah, we had, we had social media a long time ago uh, called uh, Party Line, right? But anyway, uh, this little old lady was the, was the uh, Lottie Moon, or there was, used to be a lady in Southern Baptist Life called Bertha Smith, and everybody... This lady was a godly woman, and, and everybody knew who Miss Bertha was, you know, and she'd been a missionary. But uh, this woman was the uh, matriarch of the church, and everybody looked up to her, all the young women in the church. And all. Well, when she was elderly lady, this lady, very elderly, and her children had grown up, her daughters had grown up, they were having a revival in that church, about the size of this church, and it was packed out back in that day when we had revivals. You know, we used to have two-week revivals when I started, Brother Jake. We have two-week revivals. How many of y'all remember two-week revivals? Look at them. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to hear y'all have Bible school during the daytime. You know, that's, that's awesome that you have Bible school. But we would have two-week revivals, and then, uh, man, we would eat fresh tomatoes and peas and stuff out of people's gardens. Me and the evangelists would go to everybody's house for lunch and dinner, and it was awesome. And then we'd cut them down to one week. And then we'd cut them down to... Uh, three days, and then we now we got them one day, or then we moved them to one day revivals, and now we just don't have revival at all. Amen. I'm sorry to say. Uh, I was telling Brother Jason last night. I said, "Have you ever had a January Bible study or winter Bible study?" He said, "What in the world is that, folks? How many? How long has it been since you had a winter Bible study? January Bible study. We used to have them every January. Uh, I long for those days, Brother Jason, where people just came to hear the word. You know." 
night after night. It was good. But anyway, this sweet little lady, she came pouring down the aisle during the invitation. And she had tears running. Well, the whole church thought, what in the world is going on with her? You know, here she is. They knew. I mean, they're thinking she had never sinned. <laughs> That's not true. But, I mean, you know, in their minds, they're thinking, I know we're, she's not going to get saved. She's not going to, you know, tell about all the bad things she's done. I mean, this is the woman that everybody looks to as, as the most godly woman in the church. And she asked the evangelist, she said, can I speak to the church? And he said, sure. And she had a bag in her hand, and she pulled out some lace material. And it was orange. It had grown so aged, the color of this uh, material. And she said, many, many years ago, a few decades ago, when my daughters have grown up and now have grandchildren, when they were little girls, I was walking through town one day, and I saw this lace material in the store window. And she said, I thought, oh, Lord, wouldn't that look beautiful on my daughter's dresses when they go to church and to Sunday school? And I don't know that it's true, but I know the first six years of school, I wore shirts made out of flower sacks. How many of y'all ever wore a flower sack? There you go. Dress or a shirt or, or uh, some kind of feed sack uh, clothes. Jason, you never had a flower sack shirt. Well, they used to put flour in big sacks, and people actually bought it because they made a lot of biscuits back then. You, you, you didn't know you made biscuits. They didn't come frozen. You know that, right? You had to roll them out, you know? And, uh, and my mother would buy sacks of flour, and then you, you bought the material. When you bought the sack, it was made out of cloth, and they made it beautiful so you could, and they knew people would take them, and you'd try to buy several of the same color to make a dress or something, and then you would sew up a garment out of those flour sacks, a feast sack. Really, I'm telling you the truth. And so when I look back at my first six years of school, I had on a flyer sack shirt every year. So these were possibly flyer sack dresses these girls had. And their mother thought, oh, wouldn't they be beautiful with that lace? And she said, I thought, but I don't have the money. And then I remembered I had my tithe in my purse. And she said, I thought, Lord, you know, uh, wouldn't my daughters look so beautiful in those dresses with lace on them on Sunday morning? And this is for your good. It's for your glory. This is how we rationalize, right? And Lord, it'll be for your glory. You know, they'll, they'll look so pretty in church. So she said, I convinced myself that the Lord didn't mind. And I took my tithe and I bought that lace. She said, I rushed home. I got out my old pump finger sewing machine. You don't even know what one of those is. Do you pedal it, you know, and it sews. And... Uh, she said, I got my singer sewing machine, my scissors, I got the dresses out, got the lace out. And she said, I was just about to cut it. And the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me, what are you doing? What are you doing? And she said, I felt so convicted that I put that lace up and I put it in the closet. And for all these years, 20, 30 years, it's been in the closet. And she said, tonight... I want to give back to the Lord what belongs to the Lord. And she laid that lace on the altar and walked away. I think that's a great story of what we all need to do. We all need to give to the Lord what belongs to the Lord. We may pine away, we may put it away, we may hold it for a while. We may try to control it. I remember the guys who had the money and 
One buried it and one put, invested it and one did something. I don't know what you've done with what belongs to God. But all of us, all of us ultimately are stewards of what God has given to us. And it's not just what you do. You might have given 20% since the day you became a believer. But that 80%, he's still interested in what you do with that. Ultimately, what really matters out of this whole message, I want you to understand this, is not what you give. It's what you do with what you keep, what you have left. Ultimately, God wants you, your heart. Now, if you're here today and you've never given your heart to Christ, you've never said, Lord, I want you to be the Lord of my life, Maybe you're here today, and like me, I grew up not going to church, and what few times I went, I wanted to do something, but I didn't know what to do because nobody took the time to explain to me, son, this is what you need to do. You don't have to know, you don't have to know anything except you need to know him. The Bible says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. All you have to do is say, Lord, I want to give you my heart. And I want you to be the Lord of my life. It's not what I do. It's not what Brother Jason does. And I tell you this morning with deep conviction that if you're here and if you've never given your heart to Christ, I tell you this as sincere as I can be, that there's nothing more that the people of this church would desire than to see you do that. I know before I was a believer, uh, I just thought, I, I'm, you know, what, I didn't know why people went forward. I didn't know what was going on. And uh, it was, you know, I felt awkward. But I, I, I learned after I became a believer that that is the desire of every believer is that others would become believers. When was the last time you saw somebody radically saved? Well, we used to see those, Brother Jason, where people would just, I mean, just get on fire for the Lord. I asked that of a group of pastors a few years ago, and a lot of them large church pastors, and I said, guys, we were just sitting around in a small, it wasn't in a meeting, so I wasn't speaking, we were talking, and I said, when was the last time, over 20 pastors, that one of you saw somebody who was radically, radically saved, and I saw all their heads go down? Oh, we see people move from church to church. And we see children. Yes, and they're radically saved too. I'm not everybody that's saved is radically saved. But I'm talking about where we just say, Wow. Look what happened to that fella or that gal. Never saw that coming. But I want to tell you something. The Lord still radically saves people. I get to witness that all over the world. And he's still in the business of radically changing people's lives. Well, let me ask you this morning, where's your heart? Let's all stand, and we're going to have the invitation. I'd like the pianist to come, if you would. And I just want everybody to bow your head. I do this everywhere I go. I mean, this is not anything that I'm doing uh, unusual. I want everybody to bow your head, close your eyes. Everybody here, everybody that's a musician that are coming forward, bow your head, close your eyes. I'm just going to ask you a couple of quick questions. 
like I said, I do this all the time. Brother Jason has come down front. He'll be here to receive those that might want to come forward this morning. But, uh, you know, the Bible says that God's word does not go out void or empty. It has power to change lives. It really does. You know, last night when I got up to speak at the uh, event, I had a whole chapter, 50-something verses, and I thought, I don't want to read all of that, but the Lord convicted me because, you know, there's power in the Word of God. Even though I might be able to paraphrase it, it's not the same as just reading the Word of God. God's Word changes lives. So this morning, as I've shared, I want you to think for a moment. It's, it's not what I said. It doesn't really matter what I said. But I hope you will say that Brother Danny shared from God's word this morning. Jesus is interested in what you do with what you have. He, he wants us to give our all extravagantly, sacrificially. It's not what you give, but what you keep that Jesus is most interested in. And then ultimately, it, he wants your heart. He wants you, not just what you have. He wants you he's in the people if God spoke to your heart this morning he challenged you he encouraged you maybe even convicted you would you just raise your hand where you are all over the auditorium it's okay everybody's hands bowed now all over the auditorium yes hands are going up go ahead and raise your hand up it's okay I'm going to give you a moment this is just a way to respond I'm not going to ask you to step me out or do anything just raise your hand I'm going to give you time raise your hand amen all over the auditorium hands are going up Young people, amen. Praise the Lord. Well, let me just say this. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ, just like that lady brought that material down and she gave it to the Lord, the Lord wants you to do that with your life, with your heart. Paul said, be not conformed to the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewing you're here today and your mind and heart needs to be renewed through Jesus Christ, would you come today and give your heart to Jesus? Brother Jason's going to be here to receive you as we all sing. We're going to sing the invitation. Just step out in the aisle and come right now. As everybody looks and we sing the invitation.